Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. And as always, I have my incredible co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. Hi. Awesome. And as always, every time we get to do another show, it means we get to interview another incredible person in our community. (laughs) So I would like to introduce you all to Sam May Dizon. Sam May is a healer, artivist and truth speaker. She's a femme Philippine X interdisciplinary artist, cultural producer, performance maker, and educator of Bicol, Kampangpangang, and Ilocano descent, raised in Carson, California. And currently she is in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Same, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jen and Nani. Hello, everyone. Peace. Yes, we're so happy to have you. As I do with most of my guests, I've been stalking you online. And I just think we're gonna I think we're gonna have a fun conversation today. But cool. why don't we start, Same, with you sharing how did you hear about the, the Filipino American Women Project and what inspired you to join us today? Sure. I heard about this project through my dear, dear, dear fellow healer, Kapua collector, sister girl, Janalyn Umipig, aka JL. And she just told me about what y'all were up to and and said that it would be a great platform to share about my work and my story. And, you know, we're really in a time where where Pinais and Filipinx folks are coming together and uplifting and elevating one another. So it, it just made perfect sense. Awesome. And we love JL. Uh, she probably has the most downloads for her episode out of all of our stories on the podcast show. And I feel like every time we get feedback on the show, it's usually inspired from her episode. So JL, shout out to you. Yeah, she is awesome. And I'm just so glad that she recommended you as well, because I feel like the same energy coming from you. (laughs) That reminds Mm, me a lot of her. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we're like holding it down on opposite coasts. It's a beautiful <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I love it. I love it. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. So this show is dedicated to individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronouns she, her. So Same, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Definitely. Oh, my goodness. So my parents migrated to the States in the 80s. My dad came first mid 80s and my mother came a couple years after. Both of them came to California. My mother is Yolanda Peñaflor Dizon and she's from Guinabatan Albay in Bicol. And my father is Eduardo Agdepa Dizon and he is Ilocano and Kapampangan from Gerona Tarlac in central Luzon. I was born in California in Tongva territory. I grew up in Carson, California, a place where there are hella Filipinos. (laughs) And so that was never a question for me. I've always known 
my heritage and my identity to that extent of just like really just seeing, you know, myself and everyday representations of myself and our people growing up. And I would say my family is, you know, we didn't bring the whole family to the state, so to speak. And I think everyone really does have their own unique trajectory of migration and journey. But for example, my mom is the oldest of seven and she's the only one from her family in the States. My dad is the youngest of six and him, he's like one of three of his, of the total siblings who came to the States. So for the most part growing up, even though I grew up around hella Filipinos, I didn't grow up around a lot of blood family. So mm. my journey, I would say, in you know, coming from a child to adolescence to adulthood has been really about bridging that gap culturally and through bloodline and really finding that connection of being in the in-between and this liminal space of feeling like really that home is the Philippines, that motherland is the Philippines, and at the same time really honoring and being in reverence to the homes and the lands that have embraced me, that have, you know, taken uh taken hold of me and maybe adopted me in some ways so being la tongva territory and the bay area ramatish ohlone territory awesome well thank you so much for sharing that i i'm curious to learn a little bit more about why it's so important to you to talk about the original names of these cities i mean i feel like it's there's an obvious yeah. answer to it but i love that mm-hmm. you mentioned that and i'd love to hear more about why it's so important for you to to say that oh, to mention the original definitely. territories most definitely so i think you know well first of all right growing up in the states in california in carson that was not a thing and even now it's it's very much something that's growing something that's more and more i would say becoming a part of the infrastructure, especially here in the Bay Area where we are very much leaders in the work of decolonization and re-indigenization. And so as an artist, as a cultural producer, I really work within that space and that role and that responsibility as someone who is working to share and create from a place of honoring ancestry and reclaiming our pre-colonial traditions and knowledge bases. It's important not only for me to acknowledge and honor and recognize my indigenous roots as a daughter of the diaspora, but also really, really be in relationship to the land that, that I'm a settler on, knowing that though the histories and the stories are distinct and unique from place to place, there is something we share around having been stripped away, having had our our indigeneity and our pre-colonial ways stripped away from us. And so the work of decolonizing and re-indigenizing being not only acknowledging places in their original names and giving honor to the first peoples that are very much existing and thriving in communities, but also making that bridge, making that connection that to really honor our indigeneity is not just looking back at our our own traditions and practices, but also being in relationship to wherever we are, even if even if we're visiting a place, even if we're in a place for like a layover, like knowing that that land too 
has original peoples and an original name outside of our kind of like, you know, our very like mainstream, invisibilized, like cultural amnesia facade, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that it is, it's important what you just said about honoring our indigeneity is not only about knowing our own roots and our own ancestors kind of history and heritage, but it's also about being in relationship with the land. Like, you know, how much more connected could you get than where you're standing or sitting right now? And I think that that's a really good way to just whatever's going on around you in that moment to just really just center yourself and become fully present by starting off, you know, remembering where that original territory was. Mm. Just kind of what Nani said, it makes you more present that you're, you know, you're literally in a territory where you're, you're walking on history. You know, it's not just what that land is today, but what it used to be. And um, I just think it's so fascinating that to think in that sense and to appreciate like you know, the place that you settled at, as you said. I'm curious because for me, I wouldn't know where to begin <laughs> to learn, mm-hmm. you know, to do this kind of research, you know, to learn about how to honor ancestry. I mean, I know one, I'm learning it through this podcast, through people that I interview, but for the territory itself, the place that you're currently mm-hmm. settled at, I'm curious, how did you find that information? how did you do that research for yourself? Oh, most definitely. Thank you for that question. You know, I'm a young person. <laughs> Or I would rather say, like, I'm a 333-year-old grandmother in a young person's (laughs) body, right? And so Mm -hmm. I really give big ups to my mentors and my teachers who really saw me, you know, like saw me early on before I could even see my own self and what I had the potential for and, and really what my sacred path is in this life on this earth. So one of those magnificent beings. His name is Jack Gray, and he's a Maori contemporary artist and scholar based in New Zealand or or Aotearoa. And in 2014, I was senior at Cal, UC Berkeley, in the dance and performance studies department. I was doing a project where he came as a guest artist. And the piece that we collaborated on was called Turanga Waiwai. And that's a Maori word for standing place. And, you know, at the time, I was really just 180 from where I am right now and very much, you know, I I think we as a society kind of like use the word lost and maybe like overuse that word. Mm -hmm. But but if there was a time in my life where I was lost like that, that is definitely that time. And I was really, really blessed. I was really fortunate to just kind of be rerouted, you know, by by mm-hmm. spirit, by the ancestors that year and to share space with Jack Gray. And in this work, it was about really understanding your place and how to stand strong and stand in your resiliency, knowing that you have indigeneity, knowing that you do have an ancestral land and ancestral home but may not be on that land and may not be in that home or even have any knowledge of that home. So it was really about how do we stand in our standing place, you know, as settlers, as occupiers, as guests of other first people's lands. And so that was actually the first time I came to know who the Ohlone were. And I think in retrospect, it's kind of like, it blows me away to think 
about that, that that was the first time I was like, oh, wow, there are、mm-hmm. first peoples here, you know, and, and they're not, they're not extinct. They're not endangered, so to speak, right? Because we、mm-hmm. do, as an American society, really, we do a terrible job of honoring and recognizing and just. Shining light on those really hard and traumatic histories that are a part of our country's narrative. And so I would say, like, as a young person, right, I remember being maybe in third or fourth grade and learning about the Trail of Tears. And I remember, I actually remember, like, being in my classroom, like, I remember my eyes, like, welling up, you know, like, as a child and not really,、mm-hmm. like, I couldn't really understand. I couldn't understand how that, that could have happened. I didn't understand how our nation could have let that happen, right? Because you're this young person in a migrant family and you're on this like American dream path really early on. And then you're just sitting there like, but wait, that's hella fucked up.、Mm-hmm. And why does it only get this small paragraph in my like, 500 page, page history book, right? So I remember that memory as a child. And, and then fast forward to 2014 when I really had my first exchanges with First Peoples of a land that I you know, was calling home. It was really like a veil was taken off, you know? It was like the glass shattered and I could just see things more clearly or see things for what they were. And so that process really helped me to understand the importance of being in relationship with First Peoples and the histories of the land in conjunction with my own personal research and history of, of my family and our, our ancestral lineages. Oh, that's awesome. So, note to self I need mentors and teachers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's the trippy part, I, I think, because. You know, like prior to that experience, I had spirit not rerouted me there. I would have still probably not really known, you know, any of that. And I think it's very common for us to just not know because it's not embedded in our, in our mainstream culture.、Um, but I think now, I think now in 2019, we do have so much more. Resources available, whether online or through social media, there's just more visibility. Of indigenous peoples and indigenous media, and also spaces, just community spaces where there is more intercultural exchange and an encouragement of folks to just learn, you know, to just sit and be together and learn and be uncomfortable and, and be in this discomfort of getting the glass shattered. Mm hmm. All right, Jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show, as I always do, to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know, at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, it's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, The Filipino American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. 
One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the Philam, short for Filipino-American-woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Yeah, I, I personally feel like, and maybe it's just because of doing this podcast show, but I just feel like we're in this generation now where it's all about storytelling and it's all about representation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful thing because it's so validating. You know, I feel like for a lot of my life, I just, I didn't feel grounded as a Filipina and just being able to have these interactions, these types of interviews is making me feel more grounded and appreciative and just proud to show up as I am. So it's all beautiful. So I, I appreciate you. Yes. Um, sharing all that. <laughs> yes, girl, show up as you are. Yes. Yeah. You know, seconding everything that you just said, Jen, about how we're in the kind of era where storytelling is becoming popular, at least within our community here. Um, and that it is obviously something that's incredibly beneficial for not only us, but the generations that are going to come after us. And with that said, there's only a handful of people, really, it seems that have this kind of knowledge about, you know, original territory and um, indigenous land and things like that. And so you being one of those people, you know, no pressure, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're here, you know, we're all here to learn a lot from people like you and JL. Mm. Um, mm. And so I think it's just important to again, keep you talking. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to bring you and JL on the show, maybe on a quarterly basis. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Gee, that would be great. Now that, and that would be so good for us because yeah. we're so busy yeah. and it's hard to catch each other. Yeah. But a scheduled time. <laughs> and the time difference. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, should do that. Time difference. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. Okay. Noted for the future. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Same, thank you so much for uh, sharing a little bit about your background and just the importance of honoring our ancestors, not just back home, but where we currently live, uh, like the land that we are settled in currently. So thank you so much for that. Let's go ahead and fast forward to today. As I mentioned, I have been uh, stalking you online. But for people that uh, don't know you and have not stalked you online yet and will after this interview, why don't you give people a snapshot of your life today, uh, particularly what keeps oh you busy and most excited about life sure, nowadays? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that question. What makes yes. me excited for life nowadays? That's such a great question to ask, I feel like, in December of like the last month of the year because, yeah. because it is this deep reflection, right, of, of mm -hmm. all that's happened this past year and kind of laying some in, intentions and groundwork for next year for this big like 2020 vision. Um, 
But really what excites me and what has been really bringing me a lot of joy in this artist's life is really has really been the spaces where I feel I can be my most authentic self, the spaces where I really don't have to explain myself and, mm. and what, what my path is, where people are really just fully in tune and on board and can see me and can receive me and, and see each other and receive each other in a really whole, holistic way. So I'm a company member of Embodiment Project, which is a hip-hop political theater company here in the Bay Area. And we are, ooh, we have this work called X-Rated Planet that we just previewed this past weekend in Oakland in, in Hui Chin. And it traversed sexual trauma and intergenerational trauma and just all of these things that we have a really hard time talking about in everyday conversation. So mm -hmm. there were some really courageous, or we say vulnerageous, storytelling happening through dance, spoken word, life song, to really promote and model what healing and restorative justice can look like through performance ritual. So that's a big thing that, that gives me joy, just getting to be in that process with fellow kin. We're, we're like this intercultural tribe of of like ancient beings in young people's agile bodies <laughs> yeah, who, um, are really telling stories that bridge past, present, future in order to really recreate destiny as, as our dear friend, Sarah, who, who is the director of Destiny Arts Center, this incredible youth organization in Oakland, had said after our show was, was that we were literally recreating destiny. And I think, you know, as someone who just really remembers the dialogue around manifest destiny as a young girl, like to recreate destiny is really a place that I'm like sitting in and dancing within nowadays. And then also I facilitate these embodied storytelling workshops here in the Bay Area called the Luyan, the Luyan being a Filipino word, word for vessel. And, oh, ah, ah, I really have, <laughs> you know, since 2014, I really have been, trying to understand my role as an artist in the larger work of decolonizing and re-indigenizing and, and now really having a good hold on my own professional artist life as a dancer, as a performance artist, and just being really in the multidisciplinary realm of the work. I truly feel Duluyan is a place where I can be fully in my practice of what I'm supposed to be doing on this earth or what I am already doing and I'm meant to be doing, which is really assisting our kapwa, our kapwa, our kin in, in returning to our bodies, in returning to our embodied histories through movement, through music, through prayer, through, through circle. And so that in a lot of ways is, is uh, my way of, bringing the work outward because I do feel like as a professional artist, you know, I mean, you don't, you just don't meet <laughs> artists of color every day who are doing the work that, that myself and uh, my, my kin are, are doing, you know, and it's just like the reality. And so to create space for folks in the community who, have full-time jobs who might not get to take a dance class or 
might not feel comfortable in like traditional, like more Western based therapy and healing spaces. You know, Dulian is really a place where we get to be in our bodies and be in our bodies in a really unapologetic way, in a holistic way, in a social and emotional responsive way, in a healing trauma centered way. Um, so that is, yeah, that's like, I feel like that space is beyond joy giving to me. I think it's really life purpose giving to me. And I get the beautiful opportunity to also teach throughout the city at schools as a teaching artist. So being with the young ancestors, like undoubtedly gives me joy in, in all these other ways of just getting to like be my inner child and do that healing work. And just one more that I'll add would be, I've been really working on my music this past year. And it, that has really been a dream since I was a little girl to like really perform, like singing and dancing. You know, I used to want to be a pop star, but now it's, <laughs> of course it's taken a different trajectory. That is exciting to me because as an artist who's usually in the live performance realm and theater realm, I just don't get as much opportunity to disseminate the work in a more widely received platform. So with the music, I'm really seeking to use that to just reach more audiences. And I actually have a new music video coming out this month, I believe on the 22nd, and mm. it's called Blood. And it's it's really about reclaiming our ancestral magic and... Oh, I think, yeah, I'm excited. I think you're going to love the video. It's, <laughs> it's really like just, it's just uplifting, like all of these things, stories, taboos that, that we've been working hard to reclaim, I would say, especially in this generation. Yeah, absolutely. And just hearing you talk this entire time, you just sound so centered and you sound like you are... <laughs> It sounds like you're in your element, you know, like you're just doing a lot of I'm things that, <laughs> well, it, it sounds like you're doing a lot of things, you know, emphasis on a lot, you know, but that fulfill you and that satisfy you. And, you know, I myself too, I consider myself a very eclectic person. I don't just do one podcast show. I have like four podcast shows and I have like other projects and, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm an artist in my own way in the work that I do. And, but all of it collectively makes me feel like I'm in my element, you know? And so I feel that from you when you're talking, just, you know, how passionate you are. And I like how you said that you're around people or you're doing things where you don't feel like you have to explain yourself. And to me, that just tells me that you've kind of found your tribe. You know, you found like the just the right group of people or types of people uh, to be around to be your best self. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I just think it's so cool. It just sounds like you find the most joy when you're in community with folks that, like you said, you can process in connecting with their heritage and teaching mm -hmm. them, you know, this knowledge that's really just not readily available to us. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> all I was going to add was just that it sounds like maybe that's you found your purpose and all of this exploring that you've done mm. with the different mm. organizations you've worked with, with your music mm -hmm. endeavors and everything. Mm -hmm. And it is beautiful to kind of witness you really coming into, I don't know if you would 
refer to it as your purpose, but that's what it sounds like from, mm. from our end. Yeah, definitely. Some, uh, a dear friend, um, coined it to me as, as my higher proposal. And I've been, mm. I've been using that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't it kind yeah. of like give you like, mm, how yeah, you I like that. That's beautiful. Well, keep up the good work, Sam and just it's amazing. And I always admire our fellow Panais, especially the ones that are really good at articulating where they are in life and what they're doing mm. and their purpose. So I just I've loved listening to everything you've been saying so far. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so beautiful to be received by you both and you know, it feels really easy. Yeah. It's so nice to to know that we have not met in person in this physical life, but that there is that like immediate sense of kapwa. Um, I think that's so beautiful and so special to who we are as Pinais. Yeah, I and I... That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I third that. <laughs> I also want to add, I'm glad that you said that, that although we haven't met you know, in person yet or physically that there's this connection. And I feel like that's what I love about doing this podcast show is for some reason, when people join us on our show, because we don't see each other, I think we listen to each other that much more. And I think it just promotes a more engaged conversation. So I love it. And I love it all. And I appreciate you all doing this with me on this show. Because I always like joke to Nani and everyone that we're just making up this project as we go. And it's just it's just mm. been so fruitful. Mm. Just being open to it, like it just being open to like what stories will come in and who wants to get involved. So, so yeah, it's just really awesome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into really the purpose of the show, which is sharing a life lesson and a story. And I love this part because to me, I feel like this is why the show exists is, you know, one to understand that there are people that look like us or come from the same motherland us that, you know, although it seems like we have so many similarities, there's also so many differences that we have. And I think just learning from our stories really expands our worldview of each other and our place in this world. And also what keeps me going and doing the show is just hearing these life lessons and because it can apply. Like even when I edit these shows, I just think, oh man, that's a good lesson that I could apply for today. So Same, for your life lesson and story today, you wanted to share that when you are not aligned with your higher purpose, the universe is going to let you know. So yeah, I'd love for yes. you to, <laughs> yes. So I would love for you to elaborate on that and share uh, maybe an aspect or a story in your life that led you to that life lesson. Hey everyone, Jen Amos here, taking a quick break in between our interviews as I always do uh, to actually talk about a new resource that I have personally been using for a couple of weeks now called Seven Cups. I want to give a shout out to Asia Hilario who shared this resource in episode 29. So check it out. We live in a world where you can be surrounded by people but still feel lonely with nobody to turn to when things get rough. But being heard is an important part of being human. Psychologist Glenn Mariotti, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, <laughs> saw that there was great power in listening, but he knew not everyone had someone to talk to. He started to wonder, how can I make being heard a reality for everyone? And that's why Seven Cups was born. Thanks to thousands of volunteer listeners, including myself, stepping up to lend a friendly ear, Seven Cups is happy to say, we're here for you. No matter who you are or what you're going through, 
This is a place where you'll be heard and cared for. We might be strangers on the surface, but underneath, we're just the friends you haven't met yet. Seven Cups has trained volunteer listeners available 24-7 to give emotional support over online chat. It's anonymous and, get this, completely free. When you need someone to talk to, we're here to listen and help you feel better. Learn more about Seven Cups today by visiting sevencups.com or, as always, you can check out the show notes for the link. Most definitely. So earlier in this interview, I shared about a time in my life in 2014 where I was a senior at Cal and in this process with my mentor, Jack Gray, around indigeneity and and just, oof, you know, that could not have come at a more perfect time because I was in what I like to call a toxic non-relationship and in conjunction with that really, mm, I think coming into my consciousness about the entire world and my place in the world and and you know when you start to have that opening and cracking of the shell, things and people start to in in some ways like morph. I would say in your eyes, and you just start to see truth. You know, just like plain hard truth, mm. no veils, no illusions. And so, I was I was just in a place where I was not well. And in retrospect, you know, I can pinpoint the ways I was uh, doing harm on myself and really not cultivating or practicing a sense of self-love and self-care that I am very adamant and really, really centered in now in my life. And at that time, you know, I, I had a concussion. Oh, wow. That forced me to miss a lot of class and miss a lot of rehearsals and and the doctor ordered me to sit in the dark and meditate <laughs> and oh, I wow. laugh at it because because when you're 20 20 was I 20 I might have been 20 um or 21 uh you know when you're that age you I don't know that I think everyone has a unique journey but for me at the time <laughs> that was not an option you know like mm, mm-hmm. sitting in the dark I was like what are you talking about you're like I have stuff to do <laughs> I have yeah. things to do I'm in like 10 million productions I'm the director of my dance team like there was no way I was going to follow orders right <laughs> um, and you know granted it was a mild concussion and so I just kind of had to, you know, find a balance in, in that, which which was about missing class and and being more by myself. But I was also at the same time, again, in this toxic non-relationship. And so there was a lot of ways I was just not caring for myself or putting myself first. And then lo and behold, you know, it came around the time where we were preparing for this performance for a competition that our team hosts every year in the Bay Area. And I still performed (laughs) because Mm. I was like, I'm a senior and there's no way I'm, you know, this FOMO, the FOMO thing, you know, I've gotten (laughs) over that. But at the time it was really real. And Mm. so I just, 
uh, I really believed I was invincible, you know, in a way that was harmful to my well-being. And I think that's, you know, that's, I think, overall, something that is about being a youth, being like invincible and, and just like thinking you can defy odds. And so I performed and I did a great job. I remember like, <laughs> performing and being like, oh, I just performed and I had a concussion. Bam. But you would have never known. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember I was making a speech uh, and our tradition was always to like secretly, you know, like pop these champagne bottles and then like shower the other directors who had planned that competition. And of course, it happens that way in which like my team captain, who's probably his in his second year at that time, like came up running with everybody else behind all of us and jumped up and his elbow with the champagne bottle in hand, like his elbow hit the exact spot where my concussion was originally. <gasps> oh, uh-huh. oh. And, and I remember that moment so viscerally because it was really... It's like time slowed down in this Mm. really movie-like way in which we were, you know, it was such this like celebration moment and cheering and jumping up. And, and while everyone was going up, like I, I literally and physically went down, you know, because I, I, I had this like really sharp, um, pointed pain that, that I just like, you know, no one, no one saw except me happen and I just I remember like going down and just just being like oh worst pain ever and then like in a snap nothingness and I remember like seeing everything happening but not being able to like mentally process what I was feeling and really trying to do that thing of like pretending I'm okay and being okay so that like I don't you know burden the situation or or, mm. um, or interrupt the celebration uh, to the point that I just I like ran to this like dark corner <laughs> where no one could see me and I just I just started crying and like hyperventilating like my wow. my mind did this like haywire thing and I, I I wasn't like I couldn't actually feel pain but I couldn't stop crying. And Mm. I was just really fortunate and blessed in that moment that like my co-director, like my best friend, you know, was there for me and like really helped me through that. But, but that was like, you know, a big moment of, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, (laughs) I thought I could perform on a concussion (laughs) and be okay. (laughs) And, um, you know, universe was like, ha, you're going to do that. And then you're going to suffer the repercussions. <laughs> and so, and you know, and that's, and that's like not the end of it. Right. Because I didn't learn the lesson yet. And oh, so months later, I know it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> months later, I actually went to Brazil and that's a really important part of my story because that's really where I found my like spiritual revolution, revitalization, um, and, and Brazil continues to be that place for me. But coming back, I went back to school. I was finishing up my spring semester. I fell back into the toxicity and I had an eye injury. 
Oh man. And I'm just I'm laughing now because I'm just like, wow, you know, so many signs. So many signs that I really um chose not to listen to. And you know, I'll keep that one shorter, but essentially I was there's a, there's actually a video of me telling this specific story on the Entrepreneize um website. I did a lightning talk. And so if mm-hmm. you want to like see me storytell in a with gesture and facials, that's really the video <laughs> to watch. But essentially, I had recurrent cornea erosion, which essentially meant I had um, this, I'm a contact lens wearer. And every time you take your contact, contact lenses off, you know, daily, the, the most top layer of your of your eyeball comes off, which is actually not a big deal. It's like a really natural regenerative process. Um, but for some reason, I had an abnormal cell growing and that's why there was like pain in my eye. And girl, I had like, I had pain in my eye and I just thought it was normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man. Yeah. I should have gotten it checked a long time ago. But for some reason, I was just like, okay, that's just just my right eyeball is going to hurt every time I take off my glasses. Yeah, as long as it's not <laughs> oh my goodness. what you need to do, right? right? Yeah. Like it's not bleeding. It's like it must be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so, essentially, so essentially I had that. And then that was, you know, another moment of like needing to miss classes and rehearsals. And that was when I was in the process with Jack Gray. And I remember coming back to rehearsals and, you know, me feeling like really depressed and really incompetent and inadequate and and not being able to fulfill my roles and responsibilities that I had planned to do and carry out that year and I remember him sitting me down and and him saying you know it was it was he said so much more and I wish I could say it verbatim but the really the core essence of what he was telling me was that the physical the mental the emotional and the spiritual were all interconnected mm-hmm. and at that time you know, that was my first introductory to what that was and could feel like. And at that moment, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, it was like in that moment that I realized this like continued, you know, you know, minor, but still significant, these like physical inconveniences and pain, norm- me normalizing the, this pain and, and just trying mm-hmm. to move through life with it. It hit me in that moment that it was a much larger thing that actually I had to look at my life in all of its minute and minuscule and nuanced capacities and really understand what was off and what was imbalanced and, and what was I sacrificing in order to keep up with this, this like facade, this, this outer image, right? this feeding of ego of something of someone that I was trying to be, but really was not inherent to my inherent path and (laughs) sacred proposal. So it was, it was a big life changer, you know, and after I graduated, I, I took some serious time off from life. And I just, I kind of like, came into my shell and actually did the sitting and meditating uh, and being in the dark and understanding that, oh, I I had to heal. There was so much that I Mm -hmm. had to heal before I could 
like rebuild and and return to to a life that that would be more meaningful that would be rooted in my purpose and that was no longer a life about being someone i wasn't you know and thus <laughs> my life lesson and we talk about this a lot actually in Duluyan you know folks come with physical ailments and talk about their chronic pain and you know i'm not at all a medical doctor but we we do a really good job i think in community and in relationship and just being rooted in our ancestral wisdom and gifts to know that that it is all interconnected and and that our pain really does come from things that are seeded much deeper than than um a one off injury or um like that there's always a deeper reason and there's always something actually that we need to look at beyond the ankle sprain or beyond the tight neck that there's actually you know an ancestor knocking or a story that really needs to be revealed and be processed and be processed with others for that healing Oh man, absolutely. I feel like the way I can relate to that is with my my I have eczema and I remember mm-hmm. there was a time where my skin was just breaking out so badly. Uh it usually goes over my well, at one point my whole right hand was covered in eczema and I'm right hand dominant. Mm-hmm. And just like what you said, I normalized the pain. I was like, ah, it's fine. Like, it's okay if I can't shake hands with anyone anymore. Like, no big deal. Mm. And long story short, I had a lot of revelations similar to you where it's like, wow. Like, by the time it shows on your body, like, it's actually, that's actually a clear, clear sign, you know, that something inside of you is trying to scream at you, you know, and say, hey, Mm. like, this is, you know, this is like, this is not good for you, you know, in your body and your mind, Mm -hmm. your soul. I just want to thank you so much for your time today, for sharing a little bit about your family background and who you are and what you represent and how, you know, for in our perspective, it seems like you're in alignment with a lot of things, thanks to the universe letting you know. <laughs> and, yes, uh, thank you. <laughs> and, and we're just so grateful to have you today. For people that feel moved by everything you said today on our show, how could they get a hold of you? How could they find you online? Oh, definitely. Please visit my website, samaydizan.com. Follow me on Instagram at samaybaybay, S-A-M-M-A-Y-B-A-B-A-Y. Drop me a message. Come through to Deluyan if you're in the Bay Area. And let's get connected and let's cultivate. Thank you so much for, for being here and for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you both, Jen and Nani. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, if you did not get that contact information, don't worry. I'm always super generous about the show notes. So check that out. (laughs) I work really hard on those show notes. Check them out just to humor me. Really appreciate it. Same and Nani, I want to thank you both for a wonderful conversation today and also to our listeners for listening in as always. Thanks so much. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Yeah. Blessings, fam. Blessings, fam.